January, I think it was, to speak to the youth group about end time events, kind of give them a, a survey of end time events. And uh, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to do that. I love to talk about the fact that uh, Jesus Christ is coming back again. In fact, one of the things that really got me excited about Bible study back in my college years was uh, wanting to know more about what the Bible taught about the second coming of Jesus Christ and what's going to happen in the future. And uh, what an exciting thing it is to dig into the Word of God and find out what the Bible teaches about Christ coming back again. And uh, tonight we want to talk about that. And uh, I don't know if we'll have time for questions and answers at the end. Uh, we'll try a little bit to, uh, to save a little time. If not, if uh, I do provoke some questions that uh, you'd like to get some answers to, uh, if you'd write those down, we'll sometime in the, in the not too distant future try to uh, uh, answer those questions from you from a, a biblical perspective. Uh, as we get into it, I'd like to make a couple of book recommendations uh, that uh, you might be interested. First of all, first book recommendation is the Bible. If you're going to study uh, uh, the future events and, and what God has in store, the Bible's a great place to look. Uh, virtually every book in the New Testament has something about the second coming of Christ. Uh, the book of Revelation is devoted to what's going to happen in the tribulation period when Jesus comes back again. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, uh, the Olivet Discourse and, and the Gospels. Um, just, just the, the Bible's chock full. Uh, God doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know about what's going to happen, but He gives us enough. And so the Bible's a good place to begin, and you got some scripture passages on that sheet there that uh, you can also take a look at those passages of scripture. In addition to that, uh, recommend a book. Maybe some of you have read this already. We're not going to be talking a lot about heaven tonight, but uh, the, the best book that's come out um, in the last quarter century or so on the subject of heaven was written by Randy Alcorn. And it's simply entitled Heaven. This uh, was my mother-in-law's copy that uh, she read uh, in the months before the Lord took her home. And a uh, great, great book on, on heaven, very biblical. And uh, just encourage you to get a hold of that. And it's also out on uh, CDs if, you're, uh, if you listen when you drive and things like that. So it would be available that way. Uh, an old standard from my seminary days that has been around for years and years and years. In fact, I bought this copy. It's, the pages are kind of damaged on it. I bought it at the old Zondervan bookstore in Winona Lake, Indiana, I think for about 3 or $4, uh, about 40, uh, 48 years ago, something like that. At any rate, the price on it, list price was $8.95. Have you seen a book this thick for $8.95 recently? But it's Things to Come, written by J. Dwight Pentecost. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary and uh, just does a great job, has a great uh, index in the back, giving scripture passages for, for different things connected with, with future events. So highly recommend Things to Come by J. Dwight Pentecost. If, if you can still find it in print, if not, you can probably find it maybe in a used book thing on Amazon or something like that. Uh, the, the, the best comprehensive newer book on prophecy. It was written by a fellow by the name of Mark Hitchcock. Uh, 
and simply titled The End. And like Pentecost, he talks about the rapture, he talks about the tribulation period, the uh, millennium, uh, things like that. It's just, just a great comprehensive treatment of the book. Mark Hitchcock is a, a very good writer dealing with a lot of end time events. He had a, a tremendous book out a couple of years ago and he had all that talk about the blood moons and something spectacular was going to happen and stuff like that. Well, Hitchcock wrote a great biblical presentation of the nonsense connected with that whole blood moons thing. And, and in case you didn't notice, nothing really spectacular happened. Well, well, some date in September last year, I think it was, something amazing was supposed to happen, and it, it didn't, it didn't. But uh, Mark Hitchcock, good writer, the publisher on that is Tyndale. Um, things to Come, I think, is Moody. Uh, nope, Zondervan. Zondervan for that, and Heaven is Tyndale as well. So those are some books. If we whet your appetite, I encourage you to dig into a study of God's Word concerning the future. You know, uh, as, as you look around the world, you find out there are uh, fortune tellers and palm readers and people that claim that they can tell you what's going to happen in the future. The Bible warns very distinctly about looking to sources like that to try to find out what's going to happen in the future. We need to limit our, our, our look as far as what's going to happen in the future to the Word of God and the truth that we have there. And we've been trying to share this, this study with you for, uh, well, January 31st, you'll see is the date on the, uh, on the sheet that was passed out. And I don't think the devil wanted us to, wanted us to talk about this because we had snowstorms and other things that came up and we weren't able to meet together. But thank God we're here tonight and we're going to study it. And the main theme of, of Bible prophecy is the fact that God wins. You know, somebody was asked about uh, there's the, the book of Revelation, what the book of Revelation means. And they, they simply made the comment, well, uh, Revelation's at the end of the book, and I read the end of the book, and God wins. And uh, that's the important thing to keep in mind. God is going to be victorious. And the devil doesn't want us to reflect on that. He wants us to look at some of the things we see going on in the world around us right now where where, sin, where crime seems to pay and sinners seem to get away with, with living in rebellion against God, well, I guarantee you, in the end, God wins. There will be a judgment for sin. There will be rewards for those that know Christ and, and live for Him and serve Him. And uh, the main theme of our study tonight is the fact that God wins. And uh, we find that uh, before you there are, are some uh, it's kind of a chart of what we can look forward to in the future. But uh, before we get into that, I would, would point out that we can count on what the Bible tells us about prophecy, about what's going to happen in our future. And one of the reasons we can be so sure of that is as we look back at Old Testament prophecy that was fulfilled concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. By the way, the central figure in Bible prophecy is who? Jesus Christ. The, the key thing about Bible prophecy is not satisfying all of our curiosity or telling us everything we want to know. We find that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, the, the prophecy primarily has to do with Jesus the Messiah coming into this world. He came once already. He came to be our Redeemer. He came as the Lamb of God and suffered on Calvary's cross to prepare us for the kingdom that one of these days he is going to set up on this world. Uh, we, if you go back to the Old Testament, you find there are 
uh, over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in connection with the first coming of Jesus Christ. It said the Messiah was going to come and going to be the seed of the woman. The Messiah was going to be a descendant of Abraham. The Messiah was, the Messiah was going to come through Isaac. The Messiah was going to come through, through Jacob. The Messiah was going to come through Judah. The Messiah was going to come through David. And guess what? If you read those, those genealogies in Matthew and in, in Luke, what do you find? That, that was the exact line through which Jesus the Messiah came. In Micah chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus was, the Messiah was going to be born where? All right, Bethlehem of Judea is where the Messiah was going to be. Guess where he was born? Bethlehem of Judea. We, we are, are told he's going to be a suffering Messiah. According to Isaiah chapter 53, he's going to be wounded for our transgressions. He's going to be bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace is going to be placed upon him. And all that took 300 prophecies about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were all fulfilled physically, literally, perfectly. And when we see that those prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus were fulfilled in that fashion, what would you expect about prophecies concerning the second coming? You would expect them to be fulfilled. You would expect them to be fulfilled perfectly. You would expect them to be fulfilled literally. You would expect them to be fulfilled physically. You would expect that all to take place. You would expect God to keep his word. And the amazing thing is, we have 300 and some prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. You know how many we have in the Bible concerning the second coming? We have over 700 prophecies that relate to the second coming. In fact, when Jesus ascended into glory, the apostles stood there kind of dumbfounded, just staring off into space. And the angel said to them, hey, don't, don't stand here just gazing off. Don't you know that this same Jesus is going to come again in like manner? So we, we can count on the fact that the prophecies that are not yet fulfilled will be fulfilled. All you have to do is look back and see how the prophecies relating to the first coming were fulfilled when Jesus came uh, to be our Savior. And when he comes back the second time, he's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. And uh, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is an event called the Rapture of the Church. We call it the Rapture of the Church. The term rapture is not in your English New Testament. But we get that term rapture from the, the, the idea of the, the term that's translated kept being caught up. And uh, sometimes critics of the rapture will say, well, the word's not even in the New Testament. Well, well yeah, it is. It's the, the Latin is rapto, and we just take that, and there's the catching away. And that's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. And do you know how many prophecies have to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church takes place? Zero. There is nothing at all preventing Jesus Christ from coming back for us tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we want to look at the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Some of the people in Thessalonica thought that their loved ones who had died 
we're going to miss out on the second coming of Jesus. Now, by the way, my watch tells me it's only 5.30. So we got, we got about an hour and a half left here, right? This is the one clock in my life that hasn't been turned ahead yet. Uh, not, maybe I won't turn it ahead until we're finished here tonight. But First uh, that First Thessalonians chapter four verse thirteen to help these people who thought that they had missed out on on the their loved ones had missed out on the second coming of Christ, he says, "I do, do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe." that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Note that word, in the clouds, to meet the Lord where? In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Is there comfort there? There's comfort concerning believers that have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died. And there's comfort for, for you and me as far as what we can look forward to. But a couple things stand out here when it comes to the matter of the rapture. It tells us in that passage of Scripture, when Jesus Christ comes back at the rapture, he's coming to the clouds. He's only coming to the clouds. He's not coming clear back to the earth at the rapture. He comes to the clouds. He descends with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And when he descends and comes to the clouds, the, the believers that have died are going to be raised first. Uh, it's going to be in a twinkling of an eye. They'll be given glorified resurrection bodies. The, the Lord will bring their souls back with them. When, when our loved ones die right now, their bodies don't go to heaven. Their bodies are left here for us to deal with. And uh, there may be some, there, there probably is some way they can manifest themselves in heaven like angels are spirit beings, but they could manifest themselves to human beings. It's our spirit that goes to heaven. This passage talks about Jesus bringing the spirit back, raising the body so the dead in Christ rise first. And if the rapture takes place in the next five minutes, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we'll be caught up to meet the Lord where? In the air. We'll meet the Lord in the air. Those believers that have been resurrected, they'll meet the Lord in the air. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we won't all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Because flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. And we, we need glorified resurrection bodies. Anybody here tonight that doubts these bodies are mortal? They're wearing out, they're breaking down. Hey, that's the way it is. These bodies right now... Who wants to live 500 years in the body you got right now? Man, we get in bad enough shape sometimes in 70 or 80 or 100 years, right? Um, but our bodies are going to be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives some, some real insight into the kind of resurrection body that we're going to have. There'll be glorified resurrection, uh, immortal, incorruptible bodies. And that's what will be, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Won't that be something? Gray hair will be gone. Cataracts will be gone. 
arthritis will be gone. Cancer will be gone. Bursitis will be gone. We'll, we'll have glorified resurrection bodies like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, what are those bodies going to be like? Well, when Jesus died and when he was resurrected, how old was he in physical years here? About 33 years old. What kind of shape were you in at 33? Would you, would you take 33? <laughs> Most of us would take 33. Uh, not a bad point in life. And, you know, actually the chronological years won't matter at all. But we'd be given glorified resurrection bodies like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ comes back to the clouds. Uh, believers that have died will be caught up, changed, uh, resurrected, meet the Lord in the clouds. We that are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the clouds, and then guess where we're going? We're going back to the Father's house. In John 14, Jesus told the disciples that they should not let their hearts be troubled. They shouldn't be afraid they, because they believe in God. They believe also in Him. He said that... Uh, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And he promised, first of all, in the Father's house, how much room is there? There's plenty of room. He says there's many mansions, many dwelling places. And I'm going to go, and he, first of all, he says, if that wasn't so, I would have told you. Uh, Jesus was not just accommodating their errant thinking. He said, if what, what, what you believe about heaven wasn't true, I, I would tell you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare that place for you, what does he say? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The main thing about Bible prophecy is we get to be with Jesus. The main thing we look forward to is seeing Jesus Christ face to face and being like him, having the sin nature gone and the twinkling of an eye. Won't that be great? We won't have to battle temptation and the sin nature and all that. We look forward to being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we find that after the rapture, for believers, as we're in glory, there's going to be two significant events. We will go before the Bema Seat of Christ. And that is not to determine whether we get into heaven or hell. The Bema Seat's all about rewards for faithfulness. And also about loss of reward when we've not been faithful. So there will be that examination, not to determine our salvation. When's our salvation determined? Our salvation is determined the moment that we trust Christ as Savior. And if a person doesn't trust Christ as Savior, their, 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 their lack of salvation is sealed at the moment that they die. And uh, so the Bema Seat's not about going to heaven or hell. It's an examination of believers. We'll be talking about that in uh, Romans chapter 14 in, in several weeks. Also, we find that another great event, the, there it is, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where, I'll be honest with you, I don't know all that's involved in the marriage supper of the Lamb. I just know it's going to be a celebration. And that uh, we as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And the Bible tells us that we are going to rule and reign with Christ. That all happens after the rapture as we go to be with the Lord in the air. Now, the next thing that happens on the earth is uh, an event that we call the seven-year tribulation period. And that event begins with the signing of a, a covenant between Israel and the Antichrist. When I presented this to the teenagers, one of the young men 
very astutely says, hey, there's a gap between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation period. Why is that? Why did they picture it that way? I believe they pictured it that way because it's not the rapture that necessarily starts that seven-year tribulation period. It's the signing of the treaty between the Antichrist, the beast, and, and the nation of, of Israel. That it's going to be a seven-year treaty. In fact, flip back with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and we have here the prophecy, Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks, weeks which are weeks of years, seven, uh, 77-year periods of years. And starting in verse 24, Daniel's concerned about what's going to happen to his people Israel in the future. And uh, he gets the answer from the Lord in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people. That's 490 years. 70 groups of seven years, 490 years. Uh, they're determined for your people. That's for Israel. And for your holy city. What's the holy city? Not Washington, D.C. Not New York. Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem. And here's what's going to happen by the end of that period. It will finish transgression, finish the transgression, will be make an end of sins. They'll be in reconciliation for iniquity. It'll be a time to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. At the end of this 490 years, these prophecies are all going to be fulfilled. And um, that's what's looking at here. He says, Know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 groups of seven years. Anybody good at math? 483 years. 483 years. From the time when a, a decree was going to go forth to rebuild Jerusalem. As Daniel's writing this, Israel's in captivity in Babylon. They're a captive people. And he says there's 483 years from the time that the decree goes forth. Uh, by the way, it was the Persian king that gave that decree to let them rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah comes. 483 years. And uh, really, you know, the Pharisees should have been looking for Jesus when he came because they had the time frame. We don't know the day nor the hour when the rapture is going to take place. But there could have been date setting concerning the first coming of Jesus because of this prophecy right here. 483 years. And as it goes on here then, it says, to restore the, the Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, 483 years. And, and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, at the end of the 483 years, it says, Messiah shall be cut off. What's that mean? Jesus, the Messiah, was going to die, but not for himself. Uh, Who did he die for? He died for us and for our sin. And it says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a, a flood, a flood of troops and a great army. 
and until the end of the war of desolations are determined. It says that the people of, the, of a prince who's going to come are going to destroy Jerusalem. And that's what happened in 70 A.D. Jesus was crucified, died for us, rose again the third day. And in 70 A.D., the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. The, the, and drove the Jewish people out of Jerusalem. And from 70 A.D. on until 1947, there was no nation of Israel. But uh, so that, that was done by the Romans. And it says that these, these Romans are the people of the prince who's going to come. There, there's a prince who's going to come. There, there's going to be a ruler who's going to come. Well, what's this ruler going to do? Well, it tells us here in verse 27. Says he shall confirm a covenant, a treaty, with many for one week. How long would that be in this prophecy? Seven years. He'll make a treaty with Israel. That's going to be a seven year treaty. What do, you, what do we hear an awful lot of talk about today in the world? Peace where? In the Middle East. And who's that peace? primarily deal with Israel. Israel's the, the problem as far as a lot of the world's concerned. And, and a lot of the world thinks, you know, just get Israel out of the land there. Just get the Jews out of the land. Then there would be peace in the Middle East. Uh, every president that we've had since Israel's become a nation ha has talked and had part of his agenda being trying to establish peace with Israel and the, the, the Muslims. They're in the Middle East. How successful have they been? You know, there's been war after war, and, and even today, you find that Israel's basically an armed camp. You've got the Israeli defense forces that are all over the place. Every young person in Israel serves at least two years in the Israeli defense forces, and they've got to contend with terrorists and everything like that. Well, guess what? One of these days, somebody's going to come along and he's going to offer a peace treaty to Israel and guarantee their national sovereignty, guarantee their national security. And this guy is going to be such a powerful ruler that Israel will sign that treaty with him. In reality, who should Israel be looking to for their security in the land and for their peace? They should be looking to God. But they're going to sign this treaty with the Antichrist. And we're told here in the middle of the tribulation period, after three and a half years, he's going to break that treaty. And it says in the middle of the week, it's three and a half years in, he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even till the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolator. Uh, he's going to break his treaty. And his treaty is going to put a stop to Israel worshiping God by offering sacrifices and offerings. And by the way, where, where does Israel's designated place for bringing their offerings and their sacrifices? The temple. The temple. Why don't they do that today? Why not? No temple there. Why don't they build a temple? 
The Arabs won't let them. The Muslims won't let them. One of their, their second most holy place in Islam is the Dome of the Rock from where Muhammad supposedly ascended into heaven uh, at one point to get the, the Quran. And uh, so that, that, that's right there on Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. And what would happen if Israel blew that up? It would, it would not be pretty. But sometime in the future... If he breaks the treaty in the middle and it stops the offering of sacrifices and offerings to the Lord, then I believe that one of the things that's going to be part of his peace treaty, he's going to allow Israel to start offering their sacrifices and offerings to God once again. And it may well be that somehow he's going to give them the temple site. So uh, I don't know. I don't know all the details to that, but he is going to sign this seven-year treaty that's going to guarantee Israel peace. It's going to allow them to start worshiping the way that the Old Testament dictates that they should worship. It's just sad that as a nation, they still don't recognize that the one offering for sin's already been made in Yeshua when Jesus came and, and suffered and died in our place on the cross at Calvary. But he's going to break this treaty in the middle of the tribulation period. And he's going to set up his own image in the temple. And he's going to keep the temple as a place of worship. But guess who he wants to be, have worshiped there? Himself. Himself. And to the credit of the Jews, they will not worship the Antichrist. In fact, they will turn and recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And as they do that, they are going to face a terrible, terrible persecution, even worse than the Holocaust. This man, this beast, this, this Roman prince is going to come to power through a ten-nation confederacy, which is made up of nations that were, were part of the old Roman Empire. This will be the revived Roman Empire, and he'll, he'll have complete rule over that, complete power over that. He, he's going to be part of the unholy trinity with Satan energizing him. He's going to have the, the false prophet promoting him and even doing miracles to, uh, to point authority to him. And he himself will be the antichrist. He'll be against Christ and he will present himself in place of Christ. You got all that going on during the seven year period of time. During that time, Israel is going to become the focus of God's program on the earth once again. Where's the church going to be? We're going to be out of here. We're going to be out of here. If you want to know what it's going to be like during the tribulation period, you can read the book of Revelation, and from chapter 6 to 19, it, it describes various events and judgments and, and and personalities and people that are going to be involved in this, this seven-year period. But once again, the key focus is on Israel and the Jewish people. During the tribulation period, God's going to do a couple of amazing things. He's going to start pull, pouring his judgment out upon unbelieving Gentile nations. And it's going to be, it's going to be horrible down here on this earth. Uh, Revelation talks about three series of, of judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. 
And we don't have time to go through them all tonight, but there's going to be famine. There's going to be water turning to blood. There's going to be unprecedented war. And Antichrist is going to come to power. There's going to be martyrdom for people that are believers and refuse to take the mark of the beast and give, a, give obedience and subservience to him. Uh, there's going to be earthquakes all over the place. Uh, there's going to be fresh water turning to blood. There's going to be salt water turning to blood. There's going to be horrible famine. There's going to be death through pestilence and even an animal attack, things like that. It will not be a pleasant time to be on this planet. I don't know about you. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. There will be people that will be saved during that time. God's going to raise up two great witnesses. You find described in Revelation chapter 11. Men who demonstrate the powers of Moses and Elijah. Perhaps it will be Moses and Elijah. If not, it will certainly be two men with the power of, of Elijah and Moses. In fact, uh, I believe they're going to be announcing some of these judgments of God. Remember Moses as he went up against Pharaoh and he told Pharaoh things that were going to happen and then these plagues happened. Well, it could well be these men who are crying out for people to repent and warning them against the judgment of God that's coming, that they're going to announce, the, I believe they'll announce some of these judgments that are going to come with the water turning to blood. It seems to me somebody else did that. I think Moses was involved in something like that on the Nile River. And the population of the world is going to hate these guys. I mean, they're going to despise them. They're going to blame them for all these, these things that happen on the earth. Remember when Elijah announced to Ahab that it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years in Israel? And then after the, 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 as the drought's going on and the, the period with no rain's going on, uh, Elijah comes before Ahab. And do you remember what Ahab called Elijah? Yeah, you who trouble Israel. Well, it wasn't Elijah that troubled Israel. And it won't be two God, two, the, God's two prophets that are going to trouble the people of the world. It's going to be their own rebellion against God and their own refusal to repent. But in the middle of the tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 11, these two witnesses are going to be killed. And they're going to have the devil's Christmas. According to Revelation 11, they're, they're gonna, everybody on the earth is going to see their bodies laying in the street. How could that be? How could everybody in earth see what's taking place in some, some specific location on this earth? That could never happen, could it? <laughs> satellite TV. Well, will satellite TV be used? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I remember back when we were, we were bombing Iraq and, and the shock and awe in the first Iraq war over there. And uh, I think it was Bernard, Bernard Nelson. Is that the newscast? I don't know, the black newscaster. Anyhow, he was given a report, and uh, they had him on camera, and you could see the, the, the flames from the bombs being dropped in the background. And I don't know, the, the hair on the back of my head stood up when I saw that happening. You know, this is exactly what it could be like. When these two guys lay for three days in the streets of Jerusalem, and people give gifts to each other because these people who troubled the world are finally dead. The Antichrist killed them, and they're all going to celebrate. Anybody know what happens And that third, at the end of the three days? 
God raises them from the dead, catches them up into heaven. Remember, what's the theme of prophecy? God wins. God wins. God always wins. It may look like the Antichrist is winning at points in the tribulation period, but God, God wins. God wins. So those are the things taking place in the tribulation period. You want details of it, read Revelation 6 to 19. And uh, Israel and anyone who, who becomes a follower of Jesus during this time will suffer terrible persecution. In fact, according to Zechariah, it says seven-tenths of the Jewish people will be killed during this period of time. The last three and a half years is called the Great Tribulation. It's going to be a horrible time for anybody left on this, on this planet. In fact, there's going to be a time when there'll be 100-pound hailstones that are falling from heaven. There's going to be terrible sores that people have. God's going to release demonic hordes from the pits of hell. And then they're, they're going to come upon the, the people of this world. It's going to be terrible, terrible things. There's going to be a horrible darkness that comes upon the planet. And at the end of it all, Revelation chapter 19. Guess what's going to happen? The nations of the world are going to be gathered to destroy Israel, to destroy Jerusalem, to get rid of the Jewish problem once and for all. And the armies are going to be gathered at a place uh, near the, the plain of Megiddo. Place we, or the plain of Jezreel near the Mount, Mount Megiddo and a place that we call Armageddon. Hear about that before? But the idea is get rid of Israel. Take care of the Jewish problem once and for all. Revelation chapter 19 when these nations are gathered against Israel, it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who are we looking at here? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in white linen, fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. You say, I don't know how to ride. Don't worry about it. It won't be a problem. God will take care of that. Even if you're afraid of horses, God will take care of that. We get to come back with King Jesus. Say, well, I don't want to fight. Don't worry about that. It says, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know what that's saying? That passage is saying all Jesus has to do is speak. All he has to do is speak. And the armies of the world that are gathered against Israel and who really fight against him, th th this blows me away. As you read on down through here, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of captains, the flesh of 
the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and the slave, both small and great, everybody in that army. It says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against who? Against Jesus. Against Jesus. Against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Can you believe that? Here Jesus Christ is going to be coming back at this time in power and in glory. And men are going to try to stop him. And I don't care what kind of weapons they got. Whether we're talking bows and arrows and sword, whether we're talking missiles and, and anti-tank guns and stuff like that, it doesn't matter at all. Because as you go on here, notice who wins. It says, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And how about the rest of the armies? It says, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Who fights this battle? Jesus Christ fights this battle. When they asked in the garden, when they're looking for Jesus, and he says, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus simply said, I am. What happened to those, armed, those soldiers? They fell backwards. And on this occasion, Jesus is just going to speak. And the armies that are gathered against Israel that fight against him are going to be utterly destroyed. And their leader, the beast and the false prophet, are going to be captured and cast into the lake of fire. That, that, uh, and they're going to be there forever and ever and ever. Gonna be a gonna be a bad time for the for those, but it'll be a day of light for those that love the Lord, for those who continue to walk faithfully before Him, and uh, what what a great thing that is going to be, as the Lord comes back in power and glory, and you can notice in Revelation 11, He doesn't just come back to the clouds, but He comes back to where? The earth. He's come to the earth. And there he, he carries out the sheep and the goat judgments. There he carries out the judgment of the nation of Israel. And, and we find that he begins the thousand-year millennial kingdom. And so this message doesn't go a thousand years. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up at, at that point. It's about time to close it out. And we'll take another evening to deal with the millennium and the eternal state. But I think you get the idea even from what we've looked at so far, God wins. God wins, right? The question is, are we on his side or are we on the losing side? You know, to be on the losing side in a ball game or something like that or an election or whatever, that's not the important thing. But I don't know about you. I sure don't want to be on the losing side when it comes to God establishing his kingdom upon this, upon this earth. And the great news is the rapture of the church could take place even tonight. Are you ready? Wouldn't it be great if Christ came back this evening? Let's uh, sing just a verse of when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. That's number 543.
And the most important thing in all this, this whole prophecy is not just this is going to happen, that's going to happen. most important thing is how it all centers on the person of Jesus, on him coming, on him keeping his word. It's all about Jesus. Let's stand together and sing, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Guess who's going to be calling the roll? Jesus is going to be calling the roll. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saint of earth shall gather over on the other shore, the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've told us about the future. It's not everything we'd like to know. It doesn't satisfy all of our curiosity, but it's what we, we need to know. And help us to constantly be remembering that we are on the winning side by your grace through drawing us to yourself, that we are gonna enjoy and share in the victory that Jesus Christ has already won and that he's gonna continue to, to win until finally the glorious eternal kingdom is set up in heaven and on earth. God, help us to go out of here with a spirit of optimism tonight and uh, ready to tell other people about Jesus so they too would be ready when he comes back again. We ask in the Savior's name, amen. Are dismissed. <laughs>